1: Hi, Marlea. Hi, Patrice. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're going to be eating.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're sitting here thinking that we've got to fill our stomachs with something because we've got like a beautiful martini glass mm-hmm. filled with all booze, all booze, all the time. What is a classic Manhattan? Is that what it is? Perfect Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So all it is is jack rye, sweet and dry vermouth, mm-hmm. and a cherry. Correct. A very
1: drunk. Cherry. <laughs> right. <clears throat> um, yeah, so we're like shoving as much bread products to absorb so that we can make it through this podcast.
0: Because
1: yeah. I was listening to a little bit of our live version, and I caught several times that we were having mock <laughs> cocktails. <laughs> That's <laughs> not I was, funny. I, was, I don't know what you're laughing at. <laughs> I was a little slurry. It's a um, It was a little That slur- placebo effect Is serious than normal Serious shit Just like I would almost just like Not even finish a word <laughs> Like how to pronounce it I just like <laughs> Exactly <laughs>
0: well uh i haven't I haven't listened to the live version yet, but it's nice to be in a theater again, like Watemkadipra. we get like the theater sound and it's yes, beautiful. It is beautiful and Randy got to hear his intro this morning. he played he test played it and he's like, "Oh my God, you left that in there and Yes, like, that was yeah, the best course.
1: thing. I mean that was kind of like Sunday, Sunday Sunday. <laughs> the strain so <laughs> i had like, no idea he was ding. gonna do that that was awesome that was amazing <laughs> i loved it and we're using our own equipment and mm-hmm. it sounded great i yeah. was like oh we got a professional equipment it sounds just like every <laughs> whoop, other whoop. <laughs> 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 uh, i don't know that was just a lot of fun and thanks everybody that came out and supported us and the jsu drama department
0: yeah we got to donate uh i think about 250 bucks to jsu drama which was yeah, awesome. that is so amazing. Thanks everybody for coming out and your ticket sales
1: support a good cause. Yes, those kids are amazing. They helped they us are. set up. They carried furniture for us, and uh, they made our stuff work. And
0: uh, did no wait, we hadn't actually recorded by the time we did this show last week. We recorded. Okay, so we're two weeks ahead. Anyway, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't say this on the show yet, but uh, Cheyenne, who is running uh, lights for us and the video camera mentioned that he may have heard like a tiny ghostly laugh in the middle of Patrice's
1: story. Mm-hmm.
0: And we haven't listened to the video yet.
1: Well, I tried to load the video this morning and it's like 17 uh, gigs. Mm. So it crashed my computer. Ooh. And right now it's my computer's upstairs locked up because I hadn't just, oh I hadn't wanted God, to deal with oh it. No. It'll work. I just got to clean some stuff up mm-hmm. and maybe get a scratch drive or two connected so that it can run. But oh I can't my God. wait to listen to it. And we're going to take, so if you are a patron, mm-hmm. if you go to our Patreon page and you pay $3 a month, you get like weekly uh, after talks of us just you know talking about what we really think about our stories or maybe like extra stories Mm -hmm. or things that you know people are all the time emailing us and talking to us about these littler stories that are really not long enough to mention or, or to you know do the podcast on so we'll talk about that but also anytime that we have a live show we're going to post the video up there and I do have video from. Did we get video from Watomka? I don't. Oh, uh, did we? I don't think we did. I don't okay, think but we. Had video we from but Watomka. we do have video from the first show that we ever did at mm-hmm. um, the Peerless. Mm-hmm. I have not put up there, but we have like professional video that um, Cheyenne did, who caught the baby laugh mm-hmm. halfway through. I think mine, which we're gonna find and yeah. totally obsess over. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it recorded, and. Uh, So if you want to see the live show um, as it happens, because there are props, there are gestures that go on that would make more sense if you actually see them. Mm -hmm. It's $3 a month. Just go to our website and I think it's like sponsor us or help us or... Help Patrice and Marlea produce a podcast. Exactly. So
0: so yes so yes so if you didn't get to make it for whatever reason you could do that and you could watch
1: the video and yeah fun good stuff good stuff and i'm gonna put the t-shirts up there so hopefully by this time uh we have two new designs up and we have lots of them in stock Mm -hmm. so if you want to you know again help support the podcast or just get a cool shirt then you know visit the website and buy a t-shirt or three
0: yeah because they're super cool they're really nice designs (laughs) I like them. Uh, let's see. Pre-show. Else? Oh, um, Randy listens to a podcast called Every Little Bit, which we should follow and tweet because their latest episode, he like grabbed me and was like, oh, my God, have you listened to Every Little Bit? Their latest episode talks about the origin of the term Little Green Men. Somebody had called in and asked where that came from. And so they did their research and they talked about... Um, you know the the first UFO sightings in the U.S. in 1947, and then they were like, but nobody said little green men until they were covering right your story, which was the you know the Kelly Green, the Kelly Goblins, or Kelly UFO, right? And um, the Kelly Hopkinsville incident
1: or and it encounter.
0: Was, yeah, and it was funny because when you were you know you you mentioned that you know they kind of coined that, but in in your story and in their story too, they were like. They did not ever say they were green. And no. so this kind of talks about where that little green men thing comes
1: well, from. Well, from what I read, they basically said like little green men was referred to because sci fi was like really becoming big, like mm-hmm. after the atom bomb, you know, in space and stuff like that. And so little green men actually was mentioned and it was known in kind of that subculture of like maybe three people who did sci fi back <laughs> then, right? Um, and so if you're in those circles, then you understood that lingo kind of thing. But when they reported, they are like, no, there was little gray men. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, either somebody like either misheard or mispublished yeah. or started to just connected the sci-fi with the alien encounter. And so that actual like the Kelly Hopkinsville incident made it. A you know, since that went out nationwide, it made it a household name.
0: Yeah, it was like the way you talk about aliens. Right. But that that is anyway, it was a really it's a fun podcast if you don't ever listen to every little bit. Um it's it, it is. They just take little snippets of things, little questions and oh, answer cool. them. And it's it's fun. that's did have
1: anything to do with T V production or movie
0: production? Did the the Little Green Men have anything to do with yeah, TV like production? I don't know. no but not I don't that, that early
1: know. yeah because was still gray right? right no
0: not that early they um in in the podcast if you listen to it you'll hear more about this but um she said that it was possible <clears throat> edgar rice burroughs who wrote tarzan mm-hmm. his first book was um was sci-fi mm-hmm. His first book was about Martians And, and that's he who wrote a, right. a big green alien He wrote a big green man And so that was the thing And then they took these guys Little gray men And just kind of conflated it With Edgar Rice Burroughs mm-hmm. And I was like, really? The Tarzan guy? His, mm-hmm. Like, he did aliens? Yeah. So mm-hmm. anyway, it was, it was super cool And she interviews this, like, French uh, expert on, like, The history of this And it's just fun to listen to him talk So mm-hmm. if you... <laughs> It's like it's like when you watch uh that show that my kids like to watch, the baking show, what is it? Uh, the The British one? No, they don't watch the British one, they watch the one where all the people fail. Nailed it. Nailed it. Oh uh, the, the people the, failed. The <laughs> chef, I know, because Coco gets a really huge kick out of and she they they, they look at it very hopefully. Like my mm-hmm. kids watch the show and they're like, ha ha but then they're like, Oh, everybody still likes you. Right. We're having fun
1: together. Right. You know? right. And you may but, do better the <clears throat> next time, right?
0: Yeah, so it's but there's a there's a French chef who's one of the hosts on that show and it's like listening to him talk about aliens.
1: Mm, kind of a tidbit. I saw, like, I'm flipping through Instagram or whatever, and, you know, they have, like, the, of course, most of the, who I follow, I mostly follow females, like female artists, female illustration, illustrators on um, Instagram, and one of the illustrators or, or people posted something, and it's like the, where they're representing, uh, or maybe it wasn't, maybe it was your friend. My friend? Yeah, Mike. Your Mike Mosley? Yeah. <gasps> Mike Mosley! So I think actually Mike Mosley posted this. It was where the females, you know, it had all these females that are in some form or fashion. Oh my God. I shouldn't have said his whole
0: name on the radio. Anyway, sorry. Oh. My
1: friend Mike. Mike. <clears throat> we, we will. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so they were talking about, like, all these females that had something to do with science or sci-fi. And, you know, basically it was like the last dude was like the troll who's always saying women have no business in Mm sci-fi kind of deal. Uh, But it reminded me, and I knew this, that Lucille Ball actually helped get star trek on air and she was like one of the people behind like pushing it to get it on tv on tv and to support it financially that's so cool i had no idea that was crazy but i forgot i learned that like a while back but totally forgot but yeah i should find that and post that on our um Facebook and stuff.
0: All the things we hope to post. All
1: the things we hope to post and do.
0: Would need the chalkboard. No. Chalkboard, chalkboard, chalkboard. I, you know, there are times in my life when I'm much better at just randomly writing down. I think I need to carry around a notebook with a pen because pulling out my phone and opening notes and typing things in is a lot slower for me than just using a fucking pen.
1: Well, that that's why I used amazing. to have writing all over my arms. But I have literally 400 small notebooks. <laughs> And I have literally (laughs) random shit written in all of them, and it's not very useful at all. I see your point. Yeah, but that's just me. I try. I try chalkboard, but I have, like, too much chalkboard. What we need is fewer things to do. That's exactly what we need. Fewer (laughs) things to do or an assistant to keep up with our lives. So we don't have to. A second brain. A second brain. (laughs) Yes, I need an upgrade. I need
0: an upgrade. (laughs) One that won't crash my system. (laughs) Yes.
1: Oh my gosh. Oh, and let's talk real quick. Uh, Upcoming Halloween show. I'm sorry, Hollywood show. Woo hoo hoo. Halloween show in Montgomery, Alabama at the Goat House Beer Garden. Woohoo! On October 26th. Yes, it's a Saturday before Halloween. Get your tickets now because it is very limited seating. Uh, It's going to be so much fun. There's going to be like t-shirt giveaway. (laughs) a green velvet chair yes we halloween yeah, so costumes
0: really mhm costumes spooky themed drinks fun all around sneeze <sighs> bless me. you yes we're all filling it right now oh it's gross so I'm yes. gross up in here <clears throat> so yeah yes come out to montgomery october 26 it's <laughs> the weekend before halloween yes. it's gonna be fun we're so, very yeah. excited by the time this happens it will be halloween month it's the most wonderful time of the year yes even though it's still like 97
1: bazillion fucking degrees outside
0: uh, mm-hmm.
1: welcome to the house yes i hate that
0: yeah. And it could be somebody was talking about how hard it was to choose Halloween costumes the other day because it could either snow on Halloween <laughs> or it could be 98 degrees. And I I remember the year that Abby dressed up like a werewolf, like mm-hmm. with a full-on full on sweatsuit and the big old the mask, all polyester, mm-hmm. hiking up this hill to go trick or treating, came back down and like her hair is like. She just got out of the shower drenched because oh, yeah. she has been sweating her ass off in 98 degree yeah, heat at
1: 6 hot. p.m. Yeah, it is too hot. Absolutely. And, you know, it's really hard to find costumes for kids that aren't long sleeve, long pants and so much. Like, so it's it's just miserable.
0: Yeah. It's either long sleeve, long pants, polyester or,
1: you know. Yeah, it's the worst material. Sexy too. Pokemon. Sexy Pokemon. <laughs> our, our sexy Mr. Rogers.
0: No, listen. Coco wants to be Joan of Arc for Halloween because she got a short haircut. And she's like, you know who I look like? Joan of Arc. That's who I'm going to be for Halloween. So right we on. get her a little shield. We get her a little uh, a little sword. And she's got like a, a belt to put the sword on. Everything's, you know. And so she's like, I need the rest of my costume, though. She's like, I need to find out how to. I need chainmail, And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. You can't have chainmail, All right. But we'll look on the internet and see if people have like a DIY. Search Joan of Arc costume. First thing you get, oh, no shitting you, okay. is sexy Joan of Arc. I'm like, really? Of all people. Of all like, people. Sexy Joan of Arc is i They the first obviously thing don't that know that who Joan of Arc <laughs> is. I'm like, oh my God. All right. <clears throat> that's my story.
1: <laughs> Sticking to it. <laughs> well, got anything else? You got anything no, else? I think that's basically it, other than maybe a shout out to. Uh I don't know. <laughs> chalkboard. <laughs> Shout out to chalkboard. <laughs> okay. Chalkboard has failed us. <laughs> Once again. Okay. I think you're first. Okay.
0: I'm first. This is my most off the cuff ever.
1: Woo-hoo. I can't wait.
0: Yeah, I think it is. Oh really, I think it is. No. <laughs> but um <clears throat> okay. I'm just going to jump in. (laughs) Do it. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) This is the story of the Pascagoula Phantom Barber. Another
1: Pascagoula. What? Yeah. Phantom Barber. I was trying to decide
0: if this is my first Mississippi story. I think it is. Or if I've done another one and introduced it with, I'm trying to decide if this is my first Mississippi story. (laughs) I think that's what I'm going to say every time I do Mississippi.
1: Mm, I don't think I've ever done Mississippi (laughs) before. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Go for it. So New to me. So, on uh,
0: Monday, July 5th in 1942, 11-year-old Mary Evelyn Briggs and 7-year-old Edna Marie Heidel were asleep in their beds at Our Lady of Victory's convent in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Which I feel like could be a story all its own Uh because you had a convent in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Right. But um, there was a a newspaper article about this that started out – with a super melodramatic <laughs> telling of this, that she was dreaming and she was riding her bicycle downhill in her dream and there was oh wind in her hair. <laughs> and,
1: and she could <laughs> smell honeysuckles <laughs> yes. in, the, in
0: the sea. <laughs> honeysuckles and kudzu. <laughs> and a moment later, uh, the darkness of the room swirled before her eyes and she was in her room in the convent dormitory, but there was something strange hanging over her. And it said, as though there were not quite enough darkness to fill the room, and the gray spaces had been left. And then all at once, the spaces became solid, and she was wide awake, staring into a man's face. Shit. Um, So, the man, as soon as he saw that she was awake, put his finger at his lips and told her shh. Mm -hmm. And she said he was whispering. She tried to make out what he was saying, um, but what'd you say, Courtney? (laughs) Oh, my God. No, she's not going to make out with him. I'm (laughs) I'm already tipsy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But she kind of looks around and she can see that the other people who are in the room are still in their beds. And um, she realized that this guy has been hiding behind the head of her bed. And now he was heading towards her sister. And this time she's able to scream and everybody wakes up like jack-in-the-box out of, their, out of their beds and the shape of this guy just sprints toward the window and just dives through it. Oh, my God. And um, so when police come to talk to her about this, she said she saw the figure of a, quote, kind of short fat man <laughs> <laughs> bending over me. He was wearing a white sweatsuit, she said, and or sweatshirt. And she, he had something shiny in his hand and he was fooling with my hair. Oh my God! Um, what he had done is he had he had snuck in through their screen window by cutting slits on two sides of the window because it's 1942 and nobody had air conditioning in their house, right? And so everybody's sleeping with it's July, so everybody's sleeping with their Man. windows open, yeah. And um, and hot as fuck. And he yeah. had cut her hair. <gasps> and he had gone to her sister's bed, mm. and I think what did he? I don't think it was his, her sister that he had cut. He had cut the hair of one of the other girls in the room. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so this kind of lit the town up. This was, um, a Monday night and there, a lot had been going on in Pascagoula. So it's like, is not, it wasn't a large town, but <clears throat> now that world war one or world war two was going on, um, They had a shipbuilding, like a shipyard there.
1: Yeah, there's like naval bases around there.
0: And so like the population had swollen to 15,000 in like a really short amount of time because they were bringing all all these people were coming and trying to get jobs building warships. Mm -hmm. And um, so with all these people coming in, petty crime had gone up. There were Mm -hmm. fights at bars like Mm -hmm. and there was a whole bunch of like other caution not like there would already be. I mean, like in a small Mississippi <coughs> town, you come into town and you're not from here. People are probably going to be a little cautious of you. Right. But now it's like dozens and dozens and dozens of people in every neighborhood right. are new. Right. And right. they're not from this area. And so people are suspicious of all these new folks coming in. Right. Um, And... So Welcome to the South. Exactly. <laughs> so everybody's automatically like like on guard. Mm-hmm. Parents start, like this one This one incident, parents start sleeping in their kids' rooms. Um, and then five days after this Monday incident, on Friday of that same week, six-year-old Carol Patey was asleep in her bed with her twin brother when their babysitter thought she heard a noise in their room. And so she cracked open the door to look. And she looked and they were both sound asleep in their bed. And she was about to leave, and then she realized like at the like right underneath their bedroom window, she could see the the print of a man's bare foot outlined in sand right underneath their bedroom window. And um the so the babysitter walked in and Carol, the little six-year-old, woke up and put her hand up to brush her hair out of her face and realized all her hair had been cut off.
1: Holy shit. So he didn't just like take a snip. He took like the whole ha- like all the hair.
0: You know what's weird? Some of the newspaper, I will have to look at this picture. Some of the newspaper articles say that he just took a lock of hair. Mhm. M- several others he just like say did unfortunate bangs. He, yeah, yeah, this one this one said that he cut her hair like her brothers. Oh. like that he cut it so much that it looked like a boy's. Like he had basically like shorn her. Mm-hmm. Um so I am not positive which one it is but it sounded like they had actually like legit cut her hair off
1: right well he had more time since he wasn't like she didn't wake up or anything, yeah right? exactly
0: so <clears throat> uh so this was the window had been slit just like before the man had come in and out without the child waking up cut her hair without her waking up and left without her really noticing so the second instance happens and the whole town, like, flips its shit. So they started calling it mass hysteria. Um, they dubbed the guy the Phantom Barber. And they because it had happened on Monday, and then it happened again on Friday, they started saying, he attacks on Mondays and Fridays. Oh, shit. <laughs> and I was like, because it's really funny, because that's in all of these, like, all of these, like, analyses of his case, is that it? it's Mondays and Fridays. And I'm like, but it only so far, once? it's only happened, <laughs> <laughs> like, these two times. But um, he didn't take anything else but the hair. He mm-hmm. takes the hair with him. Um, the police offered like a $300 reward for information on like that would lead to the capture of this guy. But they didn't get anything. Men start to apply for pistol permits, which cracked me up because oh, I was like, God. they already all have guns. They already did. Um, women started refusing to go out at night. Um, people were nailing their windows shut in the heat of the summer in Mississippi. Because yeah, they didn't want miserable. people getting into their windows. Well, I
1: could I could understand that. I mean.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what, it, what What else are you going to do? What else you going to do, right?
1: Mm. I don't know. Was he like building a wig? Was it like you, yeah. it puts the conditioner on the hair? God, I
0: knew you were going there. I was <laughs> like, there's so much silence in the lambs here. Um, <laughs> well, like, and that's what a lot of people have talked about. Like, well, why would he do this? Is this like a hair fetish? Like, why is he doing mm. this? Um, but you know, they, they didn't know why and factories even got to the shipyards were having trouble filling their evening shifts, their overnight shifts, because people were staying home to protect their families at night. All right. Okay. Um, so July 13th, which I believe may have actually been the following Monday, um, <clears throat> Mr. and Mrs. Terrell Heidelberg's window screen was sliced, but they were both beaten with an iron bar.
1: Holy shit. In their
0: bed, knocked out her teeth, knocked them both unconscious. And then the person left, though. Um, mm. They didn't die. Right. Um, so this incident is also racked up to the Phantom Barber. Mm -hmm. And so the police deputized six men, like, as a posse. They brought in bloodhounds. They brought in, like, Pinkerton detectives, FBI, to investigate. Um, The Army actually (coughs) modified its blackout regulations because they were doing, like, air raid blackouts to help police hunt for the Phantom Barber.
1: Oh, quick side note on blackouts. There's a study done because during World War II, like, British... had like tons of blackouts and Mm -hmm. it caused like a real problem because people would get fucking run over because nobody could see at night and cars couldn't use their headlights and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they did a study and said that blacking out does not help. I mean, uh, it's like you might as well have your lights on because they can still, they still know where to drop the bombs. They did it so they wouldn't know where to drop the bombs, basically. Mm -hmm. And they said, they did some kind of test and said that it actually caused more deaths
0: because of people getting because run over. of people getting
1: run over and having accidents and all that stuff at night anyway I sorry i went back to grad school <laughs> kind of reminiscent there but i found that very interesting because like blackout's supposed to be this thing so that the airplanes can't see their targets but that ended up kind of being bullshit mm-hmm. um it caused way more problems and way more deaths that's funny because
0: i would have thought like they maybe they didn't have the technology then to um sorry i'm like super burpee But I guess, I mean, they would primarily do things by like longitude and like actual positioning, like longitude and latitude, where like visuals would be a bonus.
1: Would be a bonus, but but you wouldn't not not guarantee because it could be overcast and it could, you know, there's so many factors that could come into play. Mm -hmm. But like the whole, you know, time that Britain was in brownout or blackout, uh, it just like, you know they were killing themselves more so than oh helping God. like actually, you know, keep them from being bombed. They're still being bombed.
0: You know what I bet it did? I bet it made them feel like they had some sort of control. I'm sure it did. I bet that I might think, have been worth something. Yeah.
1: And uh, I mean, and obviously like your psyche, if you're being constantly bombed, that would be a big
0: Yeah. It's like I've got a feeling like I'm I gotta hide. I gotta hide. Mm-hmm. I feel like
1: I gotta hide. Yeah.
0: So Sorry. um I I actually don't think I quite realize that People were doing blackouts in the U.S.? Yeah, I didn't either. But I guess because this was considered a military, you know, place that they had so many, you know, factories and everything to protect that the army was running blackouts here and they were modifying them so that people could go hunt for this guy, which seems odd to me. (laughs) Um, Right. But um, the bloodhounds, eventually they found a pair of bloodstained gloves outside of the Heidelberg's house, this couple that had been attacked. But that was it. And so the police were just like, he must have had a bike in the bushes, and he rode away on the bike. And I was like, mm, it doesn't sound like that's based guy. on anything. Right. Um, so two weeks after this pass with no incident, but then um, an older woman, um, Mrs. R.R. R. Taylor, woke up with a sickening smell and something passing over her face and realized that there was a a man who had come in and cut her hair and taken it. And they decided it was most likely chloroform. Like she woke up feeling violently ill because mm. of whatever the smell was. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, he had cut a window screen. He had snuck in, he had used chloroform, they said, and collected her hair. So this was the last hair related break in though. So as far as actually hair related break ins, there were only three. Mm-hmm. And, um, then in August 1942, the police chief, A.W. Azell and a Pinkerton detective, um, Detective Talley, said that William Dolan, a 59-year-old chemist, was the man behind the Phantom Barber. Um, they arrested him. He was originally from Germany. Damn German! Right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He had come over and been trained as a chemist in Harvard and MIT. He had been running a pharmacy in New Orleans for many years, but he said that he was selling his business and retiring to Pascagoula. Um, He also, though, he had like a record of petty crimes across the country and robberies and things like that. Um, So, you know, he was definitely on the police's radar already. Mm -hmm. And somebody, a man who lived near him, reportedly claimed that he had found large quantities of human hair behind his house. That the police said the hair had been identified, some of it, as belonging to Carol Patey, the little six-year-old girl who was sleeping with her twin. Um, DNA testing was still 40 years away at this point. There is no way that they could have decided that this hair belonged to this child. So, I mean, I, maybe if you're if you if you're a forensic specialist and you're listening to this, awesome,
1: hey. But also, te- like, tell me how that's possible. Right. Especially, didn't you say, I mean, he's already a barber, right? Is it, or No, he's a chemist. No, he was a chemist. I was going to say, well, if he's a barber, like, then he would kind of have alibis. Like, I cut hair. This is where I put my hair. But, I know, exactly. But if he doesn't, then, yeah, that's a little bit suspicious to have a pile of hair in your backyard. And see, there
0: was... Unless it was, yeah, unless it was bright red or something mm-hmm. like that. But, um, you know, and there was one, one report of it that I had found or account of it that I had found that said that the police had found this lock of hair. And there was another, like I said, that, that said that a man who lived nearby claimed that he found it behind his house. So uh, it's a little dodgy. Yeah, the a little whole dodgy. thing's a little bit dodgy. Yeah. But two witnesses did put him at or near the Heidelberg house on the night of their attack. And they said that he had a motive because the local judge was the father of Mr. Heidelberg, who he beat with the iron bar. And the judge had recently refused to lower the cost of um, of Dolan's bail related to a trespassing charge. And so they thought that might be his motive for breaking into the judge's son's house and beating him with an iron bar and then sneaking away. Mm. Which is not impossible. It's not
1: impossible. I mean, there is a,
0: a link there, right? All right. yeah. But, like, meanwhile, this is, you know, beginning of wartime, anti-German sentiment is, like, oh, God, rampant. Yes. And I was looking up, um, a lot of the stuff came from World War One, but I was looking up, like, all the propaganda posters um. of anti-German sentiment from World War One too, um. with, like, ref- like, Germans are all, you know, like, apes or... You know, Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty bad. Yeah. And that combined with everybody's kind of pissed off that all these other people are coming into town. Right. This like kind of xenophobia is is big. Right. Um, The police argued when they arrested Dolan that he had wanted to frighten local residents and weaken military morale. And that was why he had been sneaking into children's houses and cutting their hair.
1: He's just a pervert.
0: Yeah. I mean, they said Pascagoula is an important target for military saboteurs, which, okay. Okay. But that's not what he was doing, whoever this was. Mm -hmm. And um, the police collected statements of witnesses who reported that Dolan had made positive statements about Nazism and, and, like, Germany and Hitler. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that that sucks. Right. Um, But – Let's see. And some people had even said, and this was in like the first newspaper article I found on it, that um, that he was probably a German fifth columnist working to collect hair for Axis bomb sites. So there was like a myth at this time that the bomb sites they used on like air on, on flight bombers mm-hmm. um, had the crosshairs were actually human hair instead of etched on the glass of the site. And so they were saying that like this person was sneaking into Pascagoula to surreptitiously cut people's hair so that they could use it as German crosshairs for Axis bomb sites. Wow. And it wasn't even true. You know, right. like that's not actually But that's way out. That's that's going far, that's right? Crazy. Like they're really stretching. But is
1: there But that's what Mass does. Right. But there's no truth. I mean crosshairs just a mm-hmm. turn of phrase it's not actually real hair no Sorry. it's not it's not okay. real hairs
0: it's etched into the glass of the that's site it may have at one point i mean it's possible that like way back the first time they may have used it on a gun or something maybe they would have used hairs if they couldn't etch on
1: glass or right or, or if they could just like yeah I, yeah I could see that
0: but that's not what they were using then right okay <clears throat> um So Dolan emphatically professed his innocence of all of this stuff, but he was found guilty for attempted murder against the Heidelbergs. They never charged him and they sentenced to 10 years in prison. They never charged him with any of the phantom barber break-ins. And, um, so there were a whole lot of questions about like the conviction. Mm -hmm. Everybody, it's like, okay, town's able to rest easy. They put this guy away and they said he was doing all these things Mm -hmm. and they never did have another incident after that. But, um, You know, it had also been by the time he got arrested, two months since they had had an incident. So it's not necessarily directly related. Right. Um, the footprint at Carol Patey's house that was the sand barefoot print, mm-hmm. never analyzed by the police, like never measured, never looked at that way. Um, like we said, the Heidelberg attacks wasn't really similar to the Barber attacks at all, except that he went in through a window. Um they people had argued that like the barber attacks were run-ups to the Heidelberg attack. Like he was like practicing, but why the hell practice with hair? You know, why that doesn't really make any sense. And if that's the case, why did there, why was there another barber attack after the Heidelberg assault happened? Right. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, the only thing in common they had was the cut screen and it happened at night, but I mean, how the fuck else you're supposed to get into a house at night. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, so, you know, there, there was – and uh, I'll list a bunch of the websites that I got these from. This one was from Oddly Historical, and I really liked some of their things that they had listed as questions about it. And, um, you know, that it w- could have been sexually motivated, that, you know, it was a hair – maybe oh, a hair fetish. Yeah. Like, uh, creepy ass. That's what probably, we all assume, right? Yeah, I believe that. Um, so and, – and if that's the case, you know, usually people like that keep prizes – Why throw it in your backyard?
1: Yeah, that confuses me. To me, that sounds like a setup.
0: Yeah, it totally sounds like a setup. So, And he was also an easy scapegoat. Because he was German, the town needed its shipyards to open again Mm -hmm. because they were losing work time because people were staying home. So they needed somebody to get arrested Mm -hmm. because that way the town would go back to work. Right. And so, you know, and the army wouldn't have to keep on changing its blackouts. And, you know, so they needed somebody. And this was a good way to deal with that. That's what a lot of people seem to think. But six years after he was convicted and put in jail, six years into his sentence, the Mississippi governor reviewed the case, put the guy on a lie detector, and um, he passed his lie detector test, and they let him out. Hmm. Um, So... There's a, there's a podcast called Southern Mysteries. Have you ever heard of it before? Yeah. You've you mm-hmm. listened. So I, um, they had an episode on this. Mm-hmm. And I listened. This is a good podcast. Yeah, it is. Um, it actually, I think this was like their first episode. So I was like, oh, cool. Something mm-hmm. new to listen to. Um, there was an author that she interviewed on that called um, Sandra Moncrief, who had written a book about this. She lived in Pascagoula at the time and remembered a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And she actually in the book, uh, And I don't think she, I think she said she didn't even introduce this until like the epilogue to the book. So she goes through and talks about all the things that happened. But then at the end, she proposes her theory that it was a local person. And I think she names that person. Oh, wow. In her book, that she has an idea that his family knew that it was him, Mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of people recognized that this was the kind of behavior that he would have. Right. And that he joined the military. Right around the time that those attacks stopped, mm-hmm. and that's why they stopped.
1: Oh wow! So um, he was he was the local uh, crazy that you put on your porch.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's what. The, anyway, so that was her theory. You know, and no, right. she's not she's not like a, a trained investigator right. or anything like that. But you know, it's having lived in town, that was but, her, her right. speculation. Because you know, it's pretty it's pretty unlikely that they actually got the right guy. Right. Absolutely. Right. So so. It's yeah. I was gonna say when I first read it, I was like, the, "So what?" This like hair cutter just jumps in and like beats somebody with an iron bar and then goes yeah. Back see, to that's his original totally MO. something
1: different. They took advantage of the situation. I oh think. yeah, totally. So.
0: so anyway, I thought that was interesting, and I I will post. You know, of course, we always post on our show notes links to all the resources that we leaned on to mm-hmm. put these stories together and everything. Yes. So hit that. But there is, um, and I'll post a picture. Um, that was in one of the first newspaper articles I found Mm -hmm. that it was, it was a syndicated article. So it ran in a bunch. I found it in San Francisco Examiner, I think. Um, but it was a full page article and the, like the top half of the first page was this really like weird comical caricature of this character coming in and cutting a girl's hair in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. And it was, like, so reminiscent of, like, the, this is how they drew Jews when they hated Jews. Oh. Like, it was really, I mm. mean, it, it was wow. troubling. Right. <laughs> so, you know. Right. um Anyway, but uh, it was interesting. I mean, it's yeah. interesting to find out about. So that's the story of the Phantom Barber. 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 Pascagoula.
1: Uh, Pascagoula. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So interesting. We'll be right back.
0: After these messages, The Goat House Beer Garden in Montgomery is our favorite place to go when we're in Alabama's capital, whether it's to do a show, to visit a dilapidated movie set, or to flip off the governor's mansion.
1: <laughs> so I was talking to James, and he was telling me that the Goat House highlights local artists, singer-songwriters, makers, chefs, brewers, and entrepreneurs of all types – just like the strange south Mm -hmm. big supporter they intentionally support only original content because they believe that communities begin grow and sustain when creatives and entrepreneurs thrive
0: it's a great atmosphere great company and a lot of fun and it's less than 10 minutes from hank williams grave which is haunted so next time you go to say hi to old hank stop by the goat house beer garden Mm
1: -hmm. all right and we're back and we're back so, you'll find the link. It's interesting. I was telling Marlea, it's like we we are psychic. Like because <laughs> there there is a link between our two stories. And we didn't prepare and them. We we well, we both prepared them like in rush panic mm-hmm. this morning before the podcast. But um simply because I was so exhausted after that show. Like yeah. the day after the show, I slept all day and it was like the best sleep ever.
0: My day was Monday, just sitting on my ass all day mm. doing it. But I like beat myself up over it too. I was like, oh, I
1: should be moving. No, well, you, I mean, you were like cooking all week. Like you were doing things left and right all week. And I was just like, nope, I'm going to bed. What'd you say? Oh, our after party at the Waffle House. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, Courtney said, did you tell people
0: about your after party? We were talking about maybe going out to a local bar after the show or having, you know, Randy was working with us to see if we could have people stick around at the theater and have a couple Mm -hmm. drinks and whatever in their black box and, you know. It would have required special permissions and, you know, the atmosphere wouldn't have been... So we were just kind of like, oh, no, you know, we'll just go to the bar. Well, the morning of the show, Courtney texts and she's like, no, 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 you don't want to do that. She's like, Struts After Dark, which is the big college late night, you know... Thing every mm-hmm. weekend starts at ten, right. which was about when we walked out the door. Mm-hmm. She's like, "You don't want to be in there. Right. Like, there is not space there. It's going to be insane. Like, you're not going to be and, able to park." Yeah. So uh we're like, you know, we kind of everybody, uh, several people like stuck around trying to figure out what we were going to do, and and we we're just like, I guess we're not going to do anything. <laughs> and most of them left, and then like Courtney and Patrice and Randy and I all looked at each other and we're like, Let's go to the fucking waffle house. <laughs> <laughs> so we. We all went to the Waffle House. Yeah, Patrice thought of it. We all went to the Waffle House and sat at the bar, and we were so... It was like the perfect thing to do after the show. It was so
1: good. It was so good. Like coffee and waffles and bacon. Oh, my. So good. Okay, so when I was growing up, my granddad has three other brothers. So there were four brothers in all. and. They sang a lot. Like, they'd have the guitar, and, like, anytime we would, like, have a get-together, somebody would bring out the guitar, and they would sing. And, of course, they grew up, like, when they would sing folk tunes mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I grew up, like, having these folk tunes that my granddad would always sing um, anytime I was around. And he tried try to teach me how to play guitar, but uh, he had, like, one of those guitar- My fingers are, like, really weak, and it's mm-hmm. so like so, and he had, like, the steel... Strings on the guitar And I just couldn't do it It's I tried. really hard Yeah, But it's really hard So it was like I associate that with like A lot of pain I was like no You, yeah. just, you just play <laughs> So you know They would sing a lot of like Peter, Paul, and Mary Kind of oh, stuff yay. You know If I had a hammer Kind of deal And there's this one song That my granddaddy Would always sing And he tried to teach it to me On the guitar Because there's only like Two chords And it's Tom Dooley Do you know that song?
0: Hang down your head Tom Dooley Hang Yeah Hang down your head Tom
1: So it's talking about how this this guy is going to be hanged, mm-hmm. um, and I thought, you know, so I thought I had a hammer, you know, hammer in the morning, you know, blah blah. That <laughs> was kind of like, you know, fun, peppy. But there was this song that was kind of macabre, mm-hmm. talking about this guy dying. And I've never like, you don't really, at least I didn't. I didn't really ask questions when I was young. I just kind of took it at face value. They're like, this is just a song, and it's about a dude dying. I didn't really realize kind of how dark. Like it kind of was And um, This morning I found the name And started reading up On Tom Dooley And it's actually the song Fits within like this wider (laughs) genre Of Appalachian And it's called Sweetheart Murder Ballads (laughs) Which I didn't (laughs) fucking know Was a thing That makes me think of Johnny Cash Like There's a lot of that in Johnny Cash And um, so It actually the song comes from um, a poem that was written by a local poet uh, named Thomas Land, and it was about the tragedy of Tom Dooley, who was actually a real person. Oh, and uh, the guy's name wasn't Dooley; it was Dula. Oh, but like, he,
0: like, like a doula, like, a doula, like right, like
1: D U L A. Um, but. Because of how people pronounce things down, you know, like older generations and stuff, that they, they kind of mispronounce things mm-hmm. um, a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they call them Dooley, you know, Tom Dooley, not Dula. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like my granddad pronounces chimneys; he'll call them chimleys. Oh yeah, I heard and, that, and that's just kind of it's kind of like an extra pronunciation of something in regional. So it's the, the regional pronunciation with Dooley. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Tom Dooley is, you know, became a North Carolina folk song, and it's based on the 1866 murder of a woman named Laura Foster, and and allegedly by Tom Dooley. Hmm. So, Tom Dooley was born in poor Appalachia Hill Country, and in Wilkes County, North Carolina, and he was probably, a lot of what we know about him, it, it's Because there's so much legend and folklore kind of wrapped around him. It's kind of like we don't know exactly. And of course, there wasn't like big census going on at this time. Um, This was pre Civil War when he was born, Uh, you know, saying how many people were born and died. And, you know, the poor generations, they could have like, you know, 10 kids and maybe five survived kind of deal. Um, But he was the youngest of of probably three brothers and had one sister, uh, Eliza. And he grew up, and he attended school, and he played with uh, this family of, of foster girls, <coughs> one being Anne and her cousin Laura and Pauline, uh, and so they all like grew up school friends together. And apparently, Tom and Anne Foster were sweet on each other, mm-hmm. like they liked each other. And here's where it gets pretty scandalous. <laughs> Ann Foster's mother found Ann and Tom in bed together <gasps> when Ann was 14 and Tom was 12. Woo! So. Oh,
0: she a cradle robber. Yes.
1: Very, very young. Um, you know, just very young <laughs> i was just thinking there was not much like between that and and like next tom like enlist in in the army and so between the time he was 12 and 18 there's not much you know saying going on but i was huh. like what did they do did they split them up they're like did they go get me a switch i mean i, what, I bet they beat, beat the, the shit out of them, them right <laughs> so anyway um three months before uh Tom's 18th birthday, he enlisted in the Confederate army as a private for the North Carolina infantry regiment. And during war, he, he was pretty good at like um, a fiddle. And they say that he also was pretty good at a banter. So he, he was kind of a musician. Mm-hmm. And uh, during, so I think he performed a lot during the war and not did so much fighting. Mm-hmm. And um, so you know, he was wounded several times in battles, and all of Dula's brothers actually, like, died during the war. And it basically left him as the only son um, in his family. And so he had musical talents in the war. They had him listed on, like, some sort of roster thing as, like, a musician and a drummer or, or something like that. And he ended up being captured during—towards the end of the war— and was soon released. So, you know, obviously he he was, I feel like he was an entertainer and they didn't, you know, they just kind of kept him around to entertain whichever side of the troops and whatnot. And I think he was probably doing whatever he had to do to survive. He charmed the
0: Union's elders and let him go.
1: And that's very much in par with like his personality. So when he, um, while he was away at war, Ann Foster, who was the older woman in bed, (laughs) <laughs> the older 14-year-old The older 14-year-old woman. woman bed uh, married an older man named J- James Melton. Oh, no. So, Melton was a farmer and a cobbler, and he was also the neighbor to both the Falster and the doulas. So, I'm sure she married, like, for money and for a secure life mm-hmm. kind of deal. Uh, Melton also served in the war, um, and both he and doula were captured at the same time and sent to the North prison camp. Um, And they got out at the same time and both returned home. So shortly after Dula and James came back, uh, Tom Dula kind of like continued his relationship with Anne,
0: Uh the married Anne,
1: right? And he had this, but of course, you know, he's like 18, 19 years old, 20 years old. I don't know. He's like, you know, uh, young and, you know. Musicians, got the hair they just like flip back, you know, but I love them, mom. (laughs) Um, And so he begins this, you know, he continues this relationship with Anne, who's still married, and he's obviously got this reputation um, as being a libertine.
0: A libertine. libertine, but...
1: you know, which one with loose morals or no sexual restraints.
0: I was going to say, every time someone says the word libertine, I picture someone naked.
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> as you should. Um, you know, so it's like ladies' man, playboy, a rake, a bad boy. Um, and so he's in this relationship with Anne, and not long after that, he ends up getting in a relationship with Laura Foster, her cousin. Wow. So folklore has it that Laura becomes pregnant and that she and Dula decided to elope, to run off and elope. So on the morning of May 25th, 1866, she was supposed to meet Dula like in the woods and they were going to run away and elope together. So she quietly left her home and rode off on her father's horse. And that was the last time she was ever seen alive again. Oh, no. So, murder speculations here. So, nobody really knows what happens. Um, some of the stories, and there's a lot of different stories and variations on this, they implicate actually Anne. Oh. Um, saying that Anne murdered Laura. Like jealousy je- Out of jealousy. Oh. And so, um, and they also implicate her mm-hmm. because Anne was the only person that knew where she was killed. So nobody else knew where to find her. Because, like, mm. I mean, this is rural Appalachia, hill country, like all over the place. They left. They don't know which direction she went, where they were going and whatnot. Um, but Anne took them to the area where she was killed, and they just happened to find, you uh, know, her okay. shallow grave, yeah. right? And um, so they discovered the body. By this time, Dula was gone. Uh, as soon as like they started blaming him, he just like packed up and left. Uh, one of the things that's kind of interesting that came out during the trial was that um, Doula made an incriminating statement saying because he got syphilis. Oh, and he said that I'm gonna be I'm gonna do in the one who gave him the pox. <laughs> and uh, so that testimony uh, is pretty much, you know, they think, well, he carried on, you know, that Laura gave him the pox. Well, come to find out, that Doula had syphilis, Laura had syphilis, Anne had syphilis, oh shit, and Pauline has syphilis. The holy fuck, other cousin. But the doctor the said, other the other so cousin, the other cousin, three
0: girls that uh, grew up,
1: right. Yeah. And I don't know if Pauline and Laura were sisters. I want to say that they were sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be wrong. But when the local doctor testified, he said, actually, the first person that came in with syphilis was Pauline. Uh Oh, so it was like Pauline gave doula syphilis. And then doula gave Laura everybody else and and syphilis kind of deal. And it's really he, he, practice save sex, people. Right. Well, they treat. Let me tell you what they they treated it with something called in blue, 1866 blue mass. What? Blue mass is the name of a mercury based medicine. Oh my God, no! And they recommended it for like all kinds of complaints. They recommended it for tuberculosis, for constipation, for toothache, for parasitic infection, and for the pains of childbirth. So it was like. Most toxic <laughs> goop that you could use, and they like put it on everything, right?
0: I feel like I feel like the medical profession in like the late eighteen hundreds had access to like four poisons, right? And treated
1: everything with those four poisons. <laughs> like- and how nobody called them out? Like obviously they're not getting better, so. Let's put him on strict nine, right? They must descend, and you know, oh my God, yeah, that's probably a lot of it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, well, you know, right? He did get sinful. I'm just,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, he had a lot of sin. Um, So once the grave had been uh, located, uh, you know, they found her decomposing body with her legs drawn up to fit in the grave, and she had been stabbed once in the chest.
0: Oh.
1: So, they figured that this was a gruesome murder lover's triangle, but with Dula, it was more like a square or a hexagon <laughs> or something. I don't know. He, he got around, right? And they also, you know because of this lover's triangle angle and you know she was pregnant and he was a musician and and all this stuff it was like the hottest gossip in town so it just like wildfire spread throughout the region and everybody was like you know coming into town to see the you know what was going on and and hearing the rumors and stuff but like I said he um he basically left town so as soon as you know as soon as her body was found, as soon as they started accusing him, uh, he like went to the home of his relative named Thomas Dula, which obviously must have been like an uncle he was named after or something. And he stayed there in Weaverville, North Carolina at the Dula Springs Hotel. Which actually at that time, well, it was the area before um, the Dula Springs Hotel was built, which the Dula Springs Hotel is like became like this big resort thing, and this is all kind of like around the Asheville area. Um, and so he went there and hit out for a little bit, and then he, um, he started down towards Tennessee, and he started calling himself Tom Hall. So uh, he went to ten- he went to trade Tennessee, and he had run so much that he wore out his shoes and he was needing to buy new shoes so he uh, found this guy Colonel James Grayson who I think was actually um, a a colonel for the Union Army and stuff and so he was living in Tennessee and he needed you know to do some work but one of the things about Tom Dula is like he was lazy he didn't want to work he was a musician he wanted to play (laughs) he didn't want to have to like do any work
0: musicians are all lazy Patrice Uh, (laughs)
1: so anyway (laughs) um, so you know he works you know enough money to buy him some new shoes and then he takes off and one of the many tells says that Grayson and, and Grayson is actually mentioned in the song Was like a rival for the love of Laura Foster uh-huh. Which wasn't true That just kind of got woven into the tale somewhere And that Grayson and Dula were actually like In the army together And but in fact they didn't know each other Before like Dula showed up at his door Needing some work and Needing you know to earn money for some shoes mm-hmm. So he earned enough money Bought a new pair of shoes Took off again And about that time after he left, uh, a posse came into town like, hey, have you seen this guy? And they described Dula and Grayson was like, oh, yeah, that guy just left here. And they're like, well, he murdered a girl. And so Grayson actually joins the posse that comes up, you know, to try and capture uh, Tom Dula. So about this time, Tom's got his new shoes on and they start wearing blisters in his feet. And so he's like hobbling along and he doesn't get very far and the posse catches up with them and they capture him and they take him back um, to, I have no idea where they take him back <laughs> to. Um, they take him back and put him in jail and the jail, the trial, they set a trial date and it actually, it was going to be in wilkes but they moved it to Stakesville because the or Statesville because I didn't think it was going to ha- he wasn't going to have a fair trial because oh. everybody like had it's all spread all mm-hmm. the gossip everybody's like he did it he did it he did it kind of thing so um he hires this lawyer and actually uh, the I think the lawyer actually volunteered but it was the former North Carolina governor. Zebalon Vance hmm. represented him uh, pro bono, and he believed that Dula was actually innocent of the whole thing, um, and he maintained Dula's innocence throughout, you know, the trials. So he, you know, he got his quote-unquote fair trial. Um, nonetheless, he was convicted. Hmm. And they, like, appealed, and so they had another trial, and he was convicted again. So um, they pretty much set him up to hang. So when he stood on the gallows facing death, Dula reportedly said, Gentlemen, uh, do you see this hand? I did not harm a hair on that girl's head. And he was executed May 1st, 1868, and that was, like, almost two years after Laura Foster's murder. Oh. And Dula's only sister, only sibling, younger sister, came and retrieved his body afterward. And he's buried. I was really confused where he's buried, because uh, Laura's buried in this weird location. And I don't think he's actually buried near, like, with his people or anything. And, and I'll put it up on the website, like, because he does have a grave. There's photos of his grave. Um... Because I think he was buried like just out somewhere and it wasn't in a cemetery or anything. And then people started like chipping out of his, you know, uh, grave to take mementos from it and whatnot. Huh. So something in 2001, um, after all this mess came about, after all the songs have been written, uh, he was actually acquitted of oh all the charges after a petition was sent around um, Wilkes County. Uh, to the county seat. However, it was obviously unofficial and has no legal standings. And that's because, just like your case, they couldn't prove. Everything was just circumstantial evidence. They wanted
0: somebody. They wanted
1: somebody. He was like, you know, she was pregnant. And so they, you know, they wanted somebody to blame. And also they said um, there was like a lot of it's... Uh, believe that maybe they think that Anne probably was the one that murdered um laura and that he helped cover it up oh so they said that he came in and asked for a shovel um you know to do something and and they thought that was kind of weird because he he didn't like to work and so he was not going to like use a shovel for work and so they think maybe what happened is that Anne, you know argument, rage, whatever killed Laura and then she got uh, Tom to help bury her. And so he wasn't like innocent, innocent but I don't think he was the one that stabbed Laura. Some of the (laughs) myths of this legend that came about was Dula uh, came through the war without a scratch and that Governor Vance uh, made use of Dula's supposed talent with the banjo for his own entertainment which... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah so, so so what like he so, hired him
0: to sit on his sit at his feet and play banjo, play, play and banjo <laughs> but he didn't play
1: the banjo right he was he played the fiddle also um another myth was Dula was fighting um in virginia and Ann apparently uh desperate of ever seeing tom again met and married the farmer james melton in fact actually Anne married james melton like three years before tom left the war oh so, she was married way before he went off to war. Um, and when he came back, I mean, she was still married. But obviously, it didn't stop anything because they were still having an affair the whole time. And he, it was said that they he may have started, like, dating Laura as a way to throw um, James off their scent. Um. So, um but that doesn't say why he slept with Pauline. Yeah. <laughs> Who gave him syphilis? He really wanted syphilis. He yes. He he was a rake. Um, so another myth is that Anne Milton confessed to the murder on her deathbed. So supposedly she confessed to killing Laura in a fit of jealousy and begged Tom to help conceal um, her body. And people um, in the area still say that on her deathbed, that Anne saw black cats on the wall and could hear and smell bacon frying. What? Which was her own flesh cooking in the fires of hell. Oh, I thought that was just a sign she was going to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> that would be what I would smell. So the song itself, like I said, it was it was based off of this poem by Land. And I think the guy who actually put it to music's name was Prophet. And um, and I'm, I'm totally recalling this from memory Because I watched a little PBS special on it And I'll link to that in the show notes uh, And about like in the 50s uh, This man and this woman from New York City Came down to Appalachia, Appalachia And uh, was like recording all the songs And, and everything And they recorded that song, um, Tom Dooley And they, you know, took it up there And they did whatever they were going to do with it And later on, it was made popular by, um, and this is probably where my granddad heard it. It became like a really big hit. And this is pretty much how the country at the time knew of Tom Dooley, is that the Kingston Trio made, it was like one of their first major hits. And how they got a hold of it is, I think they were like at this um, venue and somebody was playing it. And they're like, oh, we like that. Can we play that? And so they kind of took it and changed it just a little bit and they started playing it and then they put it on their album and it became like this huge, massive hit. It reached like number one on the billboards, number one on the R&B billboards and actually was in the top 20 in the country music. So it was like, holy cow! yeah, it, it like was this huge song. And then all of a sudden, um... The Warners from, like, New York were going, hey, wait a minute, that's not your song. Where'd you get it from? And they're like, we got it from this dude. I was like, but that's not your song. So you don't have the rights to it. So what ended up happening is, I don't know if they sued him or they did a settlement, but all of a sudden, uh, Prophet, who was the guy that, like... Recorded with the Warrens to begin with Started receiving these royalty checks Oh And like the first royalty check was like $700 Oh sweet Because this was like you know The number one hit So there's like royalties out the yin yang So they did right hey. by him um, And uh, you know He got his royalties And he got the credit that he deserved Sweet um, Which is nice to hear So some of the um, let me see some of the other fun tidbits, there's tons of, of like cultural references, and a lot of people have redone the song. Um, members of the Macabre, which is the name of a band, actually a death metal band, <laughs> released an album of acoustic folk songs titled Macabre Minstrels, <laughs> Morbid Campfire Songs oh in 2002, I I might have to look that one out. which includes a track titled Tom Dooley about Dooley's death macabre songs obviously differs from land's traditional ballad uh so th- everybody just like the legend everybody takes the song and changes it just a little bit to say different things like the original was like hang down your head tom dooley yeah. hang down your head and cry um hang down your head tom dooley you killed laura i i forget how it says but it's like actually like names uh laura foster foster you know, yeah you killed laura foster kind of deal so um which is, how, is not how the uh, number one hit that the Kingston Trio did. And then Neil Young, actually, in 2012, featured a song called Tom Doola, um, and it's a reworking of the original poem. And then, like, there's been, like... There's been books about it. There's been multiple songs about it. And and in 1959, Michael Landon Ah! of Little House of Prairie fame uh, portrayed Dula in the movie The Legend of Tom Dooley. The oh, movie wow. is not based on the facts of Dula's life. It means that he
0: didn't have. If Michael Landon played him, he did not have.
1: syphilis. He did syphilis. not have syphilis. <laughs> that is a guarantee, right? He was not a ladies' man. No, Highway to
0: Heaven does not do syphilis. They don't do it,
1: <laughs> right? Um, like you said, except it was like in the loosest sense, you know, of of, of facts, and was based on. Nor was it based on any traditional Tom Doola legends. Rather, it was a fictional treatment inspired by the lyrics of Land's folk song. Hmm. So um, that is the legend of Tom Dooley, which ah. I had no idea was based on a real person. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. This, until um, this morning. And, you know, crossover. So who knows if he really killed her or not, or if he was covering up you know, mm-hmm. for and and, but he hanged for it. So yeah. he,
0: scapegoats is s- the theme of this episode. Scapegoats. Exactly. Hang down your head Tom Dooley. That's as far, that's about as much as I can sing of that
1: song. Though, Hang down. It's like, Dooley, poor boy, you're going to die.
0: I want to listen to it now. We're going to listen to it as soon as we turn this off. Yes. Enjoy.
1: <laughs> Thanks y'all for listening.
0: Thanks. Bye. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our website, thestrangesouth.com. All our social media links are there. And for extra fun and goodies, join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast. And if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos, please consider joining our Patreon, Patreon, Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thestrangesouth.
1: That's really, <laughs> fucking loud. That my, uh. really loud there's
0: gonna be like one contingent of people who will never listen to this show again but then we're gonna get a whole other bunch yes. of people coming in to take your place